Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. My name is Jonathan Snowbell, and we are studying the sixth and final portion of Parashat Korach. In the last section, we began learning about the gifts that go to the Kohanim. First, Kodshei Kodashim, which include Mincha, Chatat, Asham, the more sanctified gifts from actual offerings on the altar that have more limitations on who and where they can be eaten. And then we began Kodashim Kalim, the less sanctified gifts that have fewer limitations as to who and where they can be eaten. But both categories are gifts from God that must be eaten in ritual purity. We will complete the gifts to the Kohanim and move on to the gifts uh, to the Levim and try to explain the difference between these two related groups in the nation. We left off completing verse 14. Verses 15 to 18 deal with the gifts relating to the firstborn. So we will now continue with verse 15. Kol peter rechem lechol basar asher yakrivu l'adonai ba'adam uvabahima yi'elach ach pado tifte eit bechor ha'adam veit bechor ha'behima ha'temeya tifte uftuyav mi ben chodesh tifte be'erkecha kesef chameshet shekalim b'shekel ha'kodesh esrim gerah hu ach bechor shor o bechor kesef כסף או וכור עז לא תפתה קודשם את דמם תזרוק על המזבח ואת חלבם תקטיר אישה לרח ניחוח לאדוני ובשרם ילך כחזה התנופה וכשוק הימין לך יהיה. Every first issue of the womb of all flesh whether man or animal which they offer to Hashem shall be yours yours the Kohanim Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. As to their redemption price, from a month old you shall redeem them by your valuation, five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty gerah. But the firstborn of an ox, or the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem, they are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar, and you shall offer up their fat in smoke as an offering by fire for a soothing aroma to Hashem. Their meat shall be yours. It shall be yours like the breast of a wave offering and like the right thigh. The first half of verse 15 is essentially a title for the subsequent verses. The firstborn, or more precisely, the peterechem, the first issue of the womb, in a man or in an animal, that belong to God, will go to the Kohanim. However, going to the Kohanim, what that means is broken down into two categories. Verses 15 and 16 describe the firstborns that cannot be offered as sacrifices, man and impure animals. Verses 17 and 18 describe the firstborn that can be offered as sacrifices, that must be offered as sacrifices more precisely. Returning to the first category, man and impure animals. Verse 16 describes that they are redeemed by money, and the money is given to the Kohanim. The, deta- the details, as we are familiar from the mitzvah of Pidyon Ben, are from a month old, the age from which, halachically speaking, a newborn baby is considered alive and not a stillborn or a baby born at death, and the price, five shkalim. This, these five shkalim, as we said, are given to the Kohanim. 
Ostensibly, as the Torah here does not specify otherwise, this applies to all impure animals, just as it applies to humans, both mentioned in verse 15. However, Torah Shabal cross-references verses, the verse in Shmot, chapter 13, verse 13, The first issue of the donkey you shall redeem with a sheep, and if it is not redeemed, its neck should be broken. From this cross-reference, Torah Shabal teaches us, and we'll read from the Rambam in Hilchot Bikurim in the 12th chapter, Regarding our verse in Bemidbar that seems to apply to all impure animals, the Ramam states, The impure animal referred to in this verse is referring only to the donkey. There is logic in this ruling for two reasons. A. The explicit verse in Shemot. B, the need to limit the definition of an impure animal. There is an extremely long list of impure animals. Were they all meant to be redeemed? Cats, dogs, horses, bears, to name a few. If we now go back to our verses, we can make the following adaptation. The second half of verse 15 mentions firstborns of man and impure animals. Now we have to state, for impure animals, see Shemot 1313 and Torah Shabal which refers to donkeys only, and to redeem with a sheep that is given to the Kohen, or break the neck of the sheep. Verse 16, that talks about redeeming from a month old and older with five shkalim, is only referring to the firstborn of humans. As an aside, the age of one month mentioned in verse 16 is relevant in redeeming the firstborn of the donkeys as well, according to Halakha. Two questions that remain unaddressed are, why, out of all the impure animals, does the donkey have special status? This will lead to our studies of Parashat Bo and Shemot. Why does the Torah here formulate the category so broadly, all impure animals, if it only means donkeys? This is a classic question for Rashbam, who likes to address questions of where the pshat differs from the halakha in such a strong manner. The Rashbam, however, does not address it, and we will leave it as something to ponder without a suggested answer. We now return to the firstborn of the pure animals. They are not to be redeemed. Redemption means that the inherent kedusha sanctity is able to be transferred from the original object to the object upon which they are redeemed. These pure animals are not to be redeemed because they are so sanctified and they are worthy of being offered on the altar. However, these firstborn animals are given to the Kohanim to offer on the altar, and they, the Kohanim, are able to eat the entire offering, except, of course, for the blood, which is thrown on the altar, and the various chalavim, the fats that are offered that are burned on the altar, just like the Kohanim, get the breast and the right thigh in other offerings. That's the, the words in the, pashuk, in the pasuk. What does this comparison mean? Firstly, it means that it is referring to the category we identified in the previous section as Kodashim Kalim, the lower sanctity of Kodashim. 
as only in Kodashim Kalim do the Kohanim receive the breast and the right thigh. That means that the firstborn offerings are permissible not only to male Kohanim, as in Kodashim, Kodashim, but to the daughters and the wives of the Kohanim, their slaves, as in verse 11, and they may be eaten outside of the Azara of the Beit HaMikdash throughout the sanctified city of Yerushalayim. One halacha question remains. For how long may the Kohanim eat the firstborn animals that are offered on the Mizbech? Both the, the, the offering of Todah and Shlamim are considered Kodashim Kalim, but the Todah is eaten the day it is offered and the following night, while the Shlamim is eaten for two days. So, how long is the firstborn animal offered on the altar eaten for? Rashi, quoting Rabbi Akiva in the Sifri, says that the repeated phrase, Yihyeh lach, lecha yihyeh, in verse 18, teaches us that it is eaten for two days like Shlamim. Verse 19. All the offerings of the holy gifts which the sons of Israel offer to Hashem, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before Hashem to you and your descendants with you. This verse appears to be a summary of all items offered to God that are given to the Kohanim. However, the inclusion of sons and daughters, which we have learned does not apply to the entire list, as some of these gifts are only eaten by male Kohanim, that the inclusion of the daughters implies that this verse is more limited and does not refer to all the items offered to God, but rather is referring to only some of the gifts. Rashi bringing the Sifri claims that it is referring only to Truma, the gift from the first fruits, and it is repeated because of its special status. This demands further investigation. Brit Melach, a covenant of salt, used this term used in other places in Tanakh, not in the context of korbanot or offerings or the kohanim, refers to an eternal covenant. Salt is an item that never spoils, that exists eternally, therefore a covenant of salt is an eternal covenant. Verse 20. Vayomer Adonai el Aharon, Be'artsam lo tinhal, Vechelek lo yihyelecha betocham, Ani chalkecha venachalatecha betoch b'nei Yisrael. Then Hashem said to Aharon, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor own any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. The last two sections of this parasha are entitled, on the website, The Rights and Obligations of the Kohanim. Until now, most of what we have seen here are rights, various items that the Kohanim are entitled to. It is true that the first few verses of the chapter dealt with their responsibility to keep foreigners and impure people out of the Mishkan, and the punishment that is derived from that, not a small matter, but I believe that the verse we just read gives the ultimate counterweight to this picture. The Kohanim get and receive and take. 
It sounds like a racket. The upper echelons of society who work in the Mikdash, Moshe, the leader's brother, they have this great deal. Until we read verse 20. They have no land in Eretz Yisrael. They are completely compromised financially. The bread and butter of anyone in an agricultural society is owning land. We will read in the book of Yoshua that the Kohanim will receive cities, but vast tracts of land upon which they can farm and make a living, they will not receive. They are therefore tremendously disadvantaged. The gifts they receive are a limited compensation, but far from an equalizer, especially considering the limitations on all of these gifts. They must be eaten in purity, limited locations, not all members of the family. While Sefer Dvarim will add a few more gifts that are less limited, the first shearings of wool, the zroa lechayim and keva, the arm, mouth, and stomach of all non-holy animals, this is all a far cry from an equalizing factor. And the ultimate setup is that being a Kohen is no picnic. It might be a spiritual privilege. It might be challenging spiritually. It might be rewarding spiritually. Rewarding financially, it is not. And for this, God has to make such a strong statement at the end of this section, I am your portion and your inheritance. If not for this close relationship to God, the disadvantage that is set up for the Kohanim is so great that it seems that it cannot be justified without that special relationship. We now move on to the rights and obligations of the Levim. This list is more limited than the expansive one we read about the Kohanim, and it teaches us about the essential difference between the Kohanim and the Levim. Verse 21. <laughs> To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance, in return for their service which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. The sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of meeting again, or they will bear sin and die. The Levim receive the tithe, 10% of the produce that the nation makes, in exchange for the work they do in the Mishkan. In this way, they will protect B'nai Israel from sinning and dying by approaching the Mishkan inappropriately. Recall our discussions about the Levim replacing the firstborns and serving in the Mishkan. We presented the model that the Levim replaced the firstborns because they did not sin with regard to the golden calf, as opposed to the firstborn. However, we've already mentioned that this model has no echo in our verses throughout Sefer B'midbar. A different model was suggested. Instead of a firstborn representative from each family serving in the Mishkan, which would sever that firstborn from their family, and that firstborn would be alone with no father or brother to learn or instruct, the Levim replaced the firstborns as a family unit serving in the Mishkan. Thus tells us the Torah, since the Levim are taking our job that we should have been doing through our firstborns, they are entitled to 10% of our produce. Verse 23. 
נתתי ללוויים לנחלה. על כן אמרתי להם, בתוך בני ישראל לא ינחלו נחלה. Only the Levim shall perform the service, the service of the tent of the meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be, be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the sons of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to Hashem, I have given to the Levim for an inheritance. Therefore I have said concerning them, they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. The clear responsibility for the sin of inappropriate people approaching the Mishkan is placed on the shoulders of the Levim, just like it was placed on the shoulders of the Kohanim at the beginning of our chapter. Likewise, we read in these verses that, like the Kohanim, the Levim will not receive a portion in Eretz Yisrael like the rest of the nation. At the end of Sefer B'midbar, we will read that they will receive cities. In verse 24, the Torah describes that the 10% that the Leviim receive is actually B'nai Yisrael's truma, gift, to God, which is given to the Leviim as their portion, instead of a portion in the land of Eretz Yisrael that they do not receive. This appears similar to what we read in verse 12, that the truma, the first fruit of oil, wine, and grain, that is given to God is given to the Kohen. The two differences which exist at this point the amount, with regard to the Kohanim, no amount was mentioned, which led to the conclusion that any minimal amount was satisfactory, as opposed to Levim, who received 10%. The produce, the gift to the Kohanim, includes those three above-mentioned items, oil, wine, and grain, while at least ostensibly at this point, no similar limitation is mentioned with regard to the Levim, and perhaps they receive 10% from a broader list of produce. If it is a gift to God given to the Levi'im, we might make conclusions regarding its sanctity of the, the sanctity of the ten percent. Is it sanctified? Who is entitled to eat? In what state of purity may it, may it be eaten? Questions that we've already discussed with regard to the gifts given to God to the Kohanim. Let us continue reading the verses to complete the picture till the end of the chapter. Verse twenty-five. וידבר אדוני אל משה לאמור, ואל הלוויים תדבר ואמרת עליהם, כי תיקחו מאת בני ישראל את המעשר, אשר נתתי לכם מאיתם בנחלתכם, והרימותם ממנו תרומת אדוני מעשר מן המעשר. Then Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Moreover, you shall speak to the Levim and say to them, When you, shall, when you take from the sons of Israel the tithe, which I have given to you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present an offering from it to Hashem, a tithe of the tithe. Your offering shall be reckoned to you as the grain from the threshing floor or the full produce from the wine vat. So you shall also present an offering to Hashem from your tithes, which you receive from the sons of Israel, and from it you shall give Hashem's offering to Aharon the Kohen. מכל מתנותיכם תרימו את כל תרומת אדוני, מכל חלבו את מקדשו ממנו. Out of all of your gifts, you shall present every offering due to Hashem from all the best of them, the sacred part from them. 
ואמרת עליהם בהרימכם את חלבו ממנו ונחשב ללוויים כי תבואת גורן וכי תבואת יעקב. You shall say to them, when you have offered from it the best of it, then the rest shall be reckoned to the Levim as the product of the threshing floor and as the product of the wine vat. ואכלתם אותו בכל מקום אתם וביתכם, כי שכר הוא לכם חלף עבודתכם באוהל מועד. You may eat it anywhere, you and your households, for it is your compensation in return for your service in the tent of meeting. ולא תישאו עליו חטא בהרימכם את חלבו ממנו, ואת קודשי בני ישראל לא תחללו ולא תמותו. You shall bear no sin by reason of it when you have offered the best of it, but you shall not profane the sacred gifts of the sons of Israel, or you will die. The Torah teaches us that from the 10% that the Leviim receive in exchange for not having a portion in Eretz Yisrael and serving in Bnei Yisrael's place in the Mishkan, they must give a truma to God of 10% from the 10%, or in other words, 1% from the original produce. To summarize on a procedural level, the nation gives a minimal amount of truma to God that goes to the Kohanim. The nation gives 10% of truma to God that goes to the Levim. The Levim give 10% of that 10%, or in other words, 1% of the total produce as truma to God, that goes to the Kohanim. Now this is somewhat puzzling. The 10% that was given to the Levim was already described in verse 24 as a gift to God that was given to the Levim. If that is the case, why must the Levim give a gift to God again? What they've received is already a gift to God. The Torah in verse 27 explains, when you give truma, it is like you are giving from the granaries and the wineries. In other words, the Leviim are giving to God, to the Kohanim, because the grain and wine is considered their produce. Just like B'nai Israel are obligated from their produce to give to God, to the Kohanim, so to the Leviim are obligated from their produce to give to God, to the Kohanim. But according to verse 24, it is, it is not their produce. It is a gift to God that they received. Let us recall our discussion about the relationship between the Levim and the Kohanim. One model that was suggested was that the Kohanim are an extension of the Levim, the peak perhaps of the Levim. In that model, both are a unified tribe that received gifts from God. In that model, Perhaps there is no need for the Levim to give a gift to God as they are the recipients of a gift from God themselves. However, we suggested an alternative model in which the Kohanim and Levim are separate and unrelated entities and that the fact that they are from the same tribe is incidental. The Levim in this model, when they receive their 10%, are not receiving a gift from God as verse 24 stated, but rather they are receiving a salary from the nation for doing their work, as is explicitly stated in verse 31. It is a salary. They are entitled to 10% as some sort of work partnership model. The Levim will work in the Mishkan, B'nai Yisrael will work, will work in the fields. The 10% that the Levim receive is their portion of the crop for working in the Mishkan. That portion is therefore obligated in truma to God, to the Kohanim, just like the nation's part of the produce. However, this leaves us with a conundrum. 
the two models that we have presented both have echoes in the verses, and these two models have ramifications. If it is a gift from God, it is sanctified and has limitations. Who can eat it? Where can it be eaten? In what state of purity may it be eaten? If it is a mundane human salary, it has no limits, as it has no sanctity. In this conundrum, the Torah actually takes a clear halachic position. While the two elements exist in theory, verse 28 takes a practical stand. The Torah states that it can be eaten in any place. In other words, there are no limitations. Rashi comments, it can be eaten in a graveyard, a place with ritual impurity, because it is not sanctified, it is mundane. Furthermore, Halakha teaches us that while the truma of the Kohen may be eaten by his daughters and wives, it may, be, it may not be shared with any other non-Kohanim. Not so with the 10% of the Leviim. They may treat it as regular mundane food, serve it to whoever they want, including non-Levim, whenever they want and where, wherever they want, pure and impure alike. Ultimately, the Kohanim are eating from God's table. They eat gifts offered to God, and therefore there are severe limitations on who and how this food must be eaten. While such an element exists with regard to the 10% received by the Levim, as was demonstrated in verse 24, the more dominant element is that the Levim are receiving a salary from the nation. Therefore, they too must give a gift to God, which goes to the Kohanim, and therefore the 10% that they receive is not considered holy, and there are no limitations on who, how, and where it may be eaten. The common thread that remains between the Kohanim and Levim is both is that neither receive portions in Eretz Yisrael, and while they have a special role in serving God, they have severe limitations in their ability to um, financially get by, and this is the price that they play for the close relationship that they have with God. And with this we conclude studying Parshat Korach, and I complete teaching the five parshiot of Bemidbar, Naso, Behalotcha, Shlach, and Korach, 30 sessions in total. This has been certainly a tragic portion of Sefer Bemidbar that raised hopes and preparations for entering Eretz Yisrael, but those hopes were ultimately dashed and ended with the decree of death of over, over a 40-year time period for the generation that left Egypt. We will read and continue to read the continuation of Sefer Bemidbar and reopen those uh, hopes and preparations of entering Eretz Yisrael. I hope you've enjoyed and learned from these lessons. If you have questions or comments, you may contact me at jsnowbell at gmail.com. That is j-s-n-o-w-b-e-l-l at gmail.com. Perhaps I should have left my email at the end of every shiur, but better late than ever. Thank you very much.